Life is fragile. It's a fact we're learning in real time, every day. What we once called normal has seemingly disappeared. There's uncertainty in the air, restlessness in our hearts. Things we once took for granted are becoming difficult to find. Our usual day-to-day has evolved into this odd chaos. Peace is becoming obsolete. Many have lost jobs, security, and those they love. The pain is undeniable. But what if our fragility caused us to lean harder into God? What if, in our weakness, we chose to rely more on His strength? Would our outlook change? Would the peace that passes understanding begin to drown out the noise of this moment? Would we walk in a quiet confidence, knowing our God is mighty to save? We're not promised tomorrow, but we are given a simple truth to stand on. Our God goes before us. He will never leave us. He will never forsake us. Yes, life is fragile. But in our weakness, He is strong. Good morning, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us. If you don't have your Bible yet, if you would just grab your Bible. Also, if you plan on taking notes, you can be sure to do that. Uh, We are continuing in our series, The Fruit of the Spirit. And this morning, we are going to talk about why peace matters. And so we've already gone through love, joy, and today we're going to deal with peace, why peace matters, and why it is so very important for us to have this. And what I want you to think about is this, is there is probably no time in recent history that the fruit of peace has been more necessary. I don't know about you, but as I look around out in our present cultural climate, there is a lack of peace. Even within the church, there is a lack of peace. One of the things that I have noticed and I've shared in conversations, and I'm not sure if I've said it from the pulpit, but ever since the uh, Trump election, this world has been so off kilter. It has just been, there's been such a lack of peace. There's been so much division that has been going on on just a different level. And we can blame him and we can say all this kind of stuff, and that's not my goal to do here. But the one thing that I realize is that if you look at what is going on in our culture, presently. If we look at everything that is happening in our culture, I mean, you look at um, the situation with um, Aubrey, Ahmad Aubrey, and his, the, the shooting. I mean, that, that, has, that has stirred some racial conversations. That has made some comments um, that, that, that have begun to happen. Some of them positive, some of them negative, but nonetheless, it just shows us how, how, how divided we are as a nation. We're divided right now. And the only solution to that division is a peace that is not dependent 
dependent upon the world and that is not dependent upon situations or circumstances. If you continue looking at what's going on in our culture presently, you have situations that are that are that are moral issues within our culture that create divisions, that create issues within our culture. You look at this pandemic, I mean think about it. They just had the the um, the conversations in the Senate regarding the reopening and all the different opinions that are there. And listen, depending on what news outlet you go to and what channels you're on, one person is saying this, one doctor is saying this. There is a bunch of confusion. And I firmly believe that the message this morning on why peace matters is timely because it reminds us that in this world, as we're going to look at the scripture, and if you have your Bible, you can turn to John chapter 14. But as you're going to see, Jesus lets us know that he is giving us peace in the midst of this world and yet that he gives us a peace not like the world gives and so let's let's pick that up here in the text john chapter 14 we're going to read verse 25 to verse 27 and just to give you a little bit of context just to, to just so you can have a little bit of context as far as what's going on here this is toward the latter half of the gospel of john right right kind of around the middle but really what is going on narratively now jesus in chapter 13 he is with his disciples in the upper room he is with his disciples for the last supper and so everything from chapter 13 all the way to the moment where jesus is betrayed by judas is an upper room conversation I love that John actually lets us look into the upper room conversation because for most of us, when we think about the upper room conversation, we may think about the feet washing and the, and the conversation that Jesus has with Peter because Peter's like, you're not going to wash my feet. And then we also may think about the actual communion and, and the setting up of the Last Supper. We may even think about the conversation that is had with Judas regarding his betrayal, but we don't really get the full context. And so John actually gives us a glimpse into more of the context of the conversation that was being had. And so what is Jesus doing? He's instructing his disciples. These are some of Jesus's last words. And so we pick up the narrative here, <clears throat> excuse me, in verse 25. And verse 25 says this, it, 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 it tells us chapter four, 14, I'm sorry, I'm on the wrong page here. Chapter 14, it says this, and in verse 25, it says, These things, now Jesus is letting his disciples know, These things I have spoken to you while being present with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all the things I said to you. Verse 27 is the key verse. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you so much for your word that is true. We thank you so much for your word that is right. We thank you so much for your word that is timely. And this morning, we ask God, speak to our hearts. May your voice be clear. May our ears be open. May our hearts be surrendered. And may your peace, which surpasses all understanding, grip every heart and every life that is hearing your word today. And may we as your people commit to walking in the peace of God and live for your glory and honor. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to look at that verse again. Jesus says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. 
Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Again, contextually, Jesus is telling his disciples that he is going to be leaving. He is going to be going away. And where he is going, they cannot come right now. He's letting them know this. And so they are, are sensing a fear. They, they're, they're thinking the king is here. The kingdom is here. And so why are you leaving us? Why are you going to go away from us? And Jesus is trying to comfort their hearts. And what I want you to know is that while we may not have the physical Jesus here present, there are moments in our lives where we don't feel like Jesus is present at all. There are moments in our life where we just fear grips our hearts. And, and in this time, in this season, when you think about this whole pandemic and this whole situation with COVID-19, this has been a season of fear for so many. People are overwhelmed. I mean, right now, that's the big debate between, uh, you know, different people within our government and having the conversation. Should we allow ourselves to maintain how we are going or should we go and, and take some steps that are a little bit radical, some steps that are outside of the comfort zone. See, that's the thing for us. We want to be comfortable. But I want you to know something. I don't think anywhere, and, I, and, and this is just, just to let you know, this is not in any way, shape, or form to say that I think we should open the economy and throw you know, reason to the side. That's not what I'm trying to say here. But, but what, what I want you to know is that I do not believe that Jesus wants us to live a life that is in comfort. That, that's not what Jesus calls us to. Jesus doesn't want us to live a life where we feel safe. I, you know, I, I firmly believe that safety is really an illusion. I mean, technically, you know, we can be finished with this service and you can leave to go somewhere to the store and, and, and an accident happen and you're done. I mean, are you really safe, right? It's just, it's just an illusion. I was talking with a pastor friend and he was saying how so many people are extremely fearful to fly. And I'm not talking about presently because of the COVID-19. I'm talking about they're afraid to fly. Like there are people that have genuine panic attacks when they think about flying. There are people that will drive places before they will fly places because they're afraid to die. But you want to know what's the truth? The truth is statistically, you have more of a chance dying in a car accident than you do flying in a plane. Just let that sink in for a moment. People, people are not, it's, it's an illusion. This safety is an illusion. And so some people feel like, man, I'm, I'm, I'm more safe driving a car. No, statistically, you are not. That is not true. However, it's something that is in your heart that makes you believe this. And so the point that I make is that Jesus is not wanting us to walk in comfort. However, Jesus wants us to walk in a peace. Not a peace that the world gives us, not a peace that statistics give us, because right now you may have been a person who say, man, I was afraid of flying, but now I feel like I can take that stat and I'm not going to be fearful anymore. Maybe that will help you. But that's a peace that the world gives through statistics or through whatever measures they may give you. However, Jesus said to his disciples, I give you peace, not as the world gives I give you my peace. It kind of brings us back to the conversation Jesus had last week when he said, I say these things to you so your joy may be full. See, what I realized that Jesus wants us to have real peace. He wants us to know this peace, what the Jewish people would call shalom. 
See, it's, it's such a different word. Like I think in English, I, I, lo I love that Hebrew, that shalom. There's something different when, when you hear that. It's different than saying, hey, peace to you, but you say shalom to you, right? There is a difference that, that, that is enacted in that moment. And the Jewish people, and we're going to talk about this in my first point, but the Jewish people had a different understanding of this word peace. So when Jesus says, I give you my peace, he's saying, I give you my shalom. It's almost like when I, when I say that word, it, I almost in picture, I almost picture being wrapped up in this blanket of peace. And I believe that that is what Jesus wants for us to have is his shalom. And so I want you to think about this this morning. Peace is not simply a calm feeling, but a soul at rest in the person and will of God. Peace is not simply a calm feeling, but a soul at rest in the person and will of God. I, I want you to think about that because Peace does bring you calm. You have peaceful situations. You have peaceful places. You have peaceful moments. There are feelings of calm. Those, they're so peaceful. You may have walked into someone's house one day and you felt this calm that was there, this peace that was there. You may be in the middle of singing songs of worship and there's moments that there's just this calm. There's just this peace. There, there's moments where the house is silent. <laughs> Glory to God. Hmm. The kids are not making any noise. Nobody else is around. And there is a peace. There is a stillness that is there. But what I want you to know is that peace is greater than simply a feeling or an emotion that we have at certain moments of time. But it is your soul being at rest in the person of God and in the will of God. I have a pastor friend and he was sharing about one of his children that was going to be going away on a missions trip and some uh, unrest broke out right before this child was getting ready to leave. This young, young man was getting ready to leave to go on this missionary trip and the, the, the parents became a bit worried. But the, the child was like, I'm going to go. And, and the idea came out that the safest place for anyone to be is in the will of God. You see, when you know that you are in the will of God, then you know that you are what? Protected. And that whatever befalls you, whatever happens to you, God is with you. That, that, that's what peace is about. It's about God being with you. And so today, as we consider this, here's what I want you to think about. The first point that I'd like to make is God's peace is exclusive, enduring, and empowering. God's peace is exclusive, enduring, and empowering. And so what we find here in this text here is that Jesus is saying, I give you my peace. Now notice, he didn't say, I'm giving everyone my peace. He said specifically, he was giving his peace to his disciples, the ones who were committed to him. If you go further back into chapter 14, Jesus says what? I believe it's John 14, verse 6, a verse that we all know by heart. He says that I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And so salvation is what? Salvation is exclusive to those who put their faith in Christ. So is peace exclusive to those who put their faith in Christ. And so what I want to say, I told you we'd talk about this a little bit more, is that peace is not a word that is, that is reserved to the New Testament. Peace is something that is rooted in God's dealings with Israel. He offered them shalom. He offered them peace. But when you think about the word in the Old Testament, the word in the Old Testament was not simply a feeling. It, it wasn't simply an emotion, but it really meant, it really connotated being whole 
or being complete. And so what God is saying is when we're talking about the fruit of peace, God wants you to be whole. He wants you to be complete because that's where peace comes from. When you come to Christ, if you're not whole, you're broken. And when you come to him, you sense, you begin to experience more than a feeling, but you begin to experience peace because now you are being made whole in his presence. And so is, this word can refer to tangible things. It can also refer to things that are intangible. And so when you think about this again, when you go back to the Old Testament, you'll find that when God is trying to bring peace to Israel, what he's doing is he's letting them know that he is going to be with them and he's going to literally bring them peace. He's going to give them peace from war. He's going to give them peace from their enemies. He's going to do something tangible that you're going to see. We sang a song today, and, and, and if, you, if you write this down, you can go to Numbers chapter 6. And we sang this song, it's called The Blessing, and as we have sung this song, we, 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 I said with the first time that we sang it, I was like, listen, this is one of the most biblically sound songs that I have ever sang. And the reason why is because when you go back to the book of Numbers chapter 6, and you get to the end of that chapter, I believe around chapter verse 26, so somewhere around there, God is speaking to Moses and telling, instructing him on how Aaron and his sons are supposed to bless Israel. And he, and, and they begins to say, the Lord bless you. The Lord keep you make his face shine upon you and make his, you know, grace be his face turned toward you. And so I'm not going to quote the whole thing here, but here's what he ends with. He says, and may he give you peace. Part of the blessing of God that he wanted to have over Israel was what? He wanted them to have the blessing of peace, of shalom, to be in their life. And I want you to hear it clearly that when you look at the word peace, if you look at Romans, you don't have to turn there now, but you can write this down if you're taking notes. But if you go to Romans chapter 5, you're going to notice something. In the New Testament, when Paul, who is a Jewish rabbi, that's what he is, and so he's very well indoctrinated with the truths of the Old Testament, the understanding of peace, he now applies it in an intangible way. And the intangible way is what? It is, it is in the actual feeling, not, not the feeling or the emotion, but in the truth that we have been justified by faith. This is what Romans 5.1 says. We have now been justified by faith. Therefore, we now have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And so what Paul does, he takes it from the tangible realm of things like war and all that kind of stuff to now a reality that is intangible, but is just as secure. It is that because of our salvation, and that's a big word, because of our salvation, because God has rescued us from our sin and brought us into a right relationship with himself, now we can have peace. You, you know, you've seen the bumper sticker, right? No peace, no Jesus no Jesus, no peace, you know, like, and so the, the, the point is what is that if you don't know Jesus, you can't know peace. That's the bottom line. And it's true. You cannot have the peace that is exclusive unless what, unless you have been saved. So the question that I'll ask, and I want to ask this because I don't know who's tuning in. Are you saved? Are you a born again person? Do you have a relationship with Jesus Christ? What I want you to realize is that peace is always connected with salvation. So here's the question. What is the definition of peace in the New Testament? And so in the New Testament, the definition of peace is simple. And I don't have this one written down for you guys. So if you're taking notes, you can write it down. But it means tranquility of mind. But check it out. Based upon the consciousness of a right relationship to God. Let me say that again. 
It is tranquility of mind based upon the consciousness of a right relation to God. It is, it is, it is having a peace. Here's what I'll say is that the certainty of peace with God produces the experience of the peace of God. See, there's a difference. There is peace with God. You don't necessarily feel that. You have to know that. However, when you come into that place of peace with God, God allows you to experience peace from God. And so that's the first thing that I would try to help you to understand is that the certainty of peace with God produces the experience of the peace of God. Now, here's something else I want to point out. You can write this down as well. Matthew chapter 10, Jesus is sending out his disciples, letting them go out to preach the gospel, to go and declare healing and restoration to lives. And he says something in there later on in the chapter. He says this. He says that he didn't come to bring peace, but to bring a sword. Swords bring division is what Jesus is saying. And so here's what I want to ask you. Is that a contradiction? Is Jesus saying, no, 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 I really didn't come to give you peace in one place. And then another place he's saying, yeah, I came to give you peace. No, no, no. Here's what it is. This is what I believe the text is trying to tell us is that Jesus was not trying to give us false peace. He was not trying to give us false security. See, we live in a culture today and now in our days that we want a false sense of security. Just to go back to the whole pandemic situation, you know what people are, and some people are waiting for? Some people are waiting for the doctors to say, we've got this thing under control. They're, they're waiting for the doctors to say, there's no, more, there, there's no more risk involved in us opening up the economy. Let's go back and do everything the way that we can. Let me tell you something. There is no truth to that. There, there is never going to be a moment that we have now that COVID-19 has entered into this world. Guess what? There's never going to be a moment that you are not at risk of, of, of catching this, of, of, of being contaminated with it. Listen, I'm going to tell you something you may not even know. I was listening to one study from one doctor and he was saying that there are so many people. They did a, they did a case study with a bunch of with some random people and over like 3000 of those people they, in, in the case study that was like 3000 people. And when they did the study. They actually tested to see if these uh, of these 3,000 people, how many of them had the antibodies in them. And here's, here's what happened. The, the doctor was saying that there was a bunch of these people that had the antibodies in them, which meant what? They didn't know that they had ever come in contact with COVID in any way, shape, or form. However, their body was working up these antibodies. Why? Because they came in contact with it and their body was automatically starting to fight this thing. So what's the point that I'm making? The point is that we want false peace all the time. We want people to tell us everything is going to be okay. One of the great issues that I have with the whole prosperity gospel, if you want to call it that, is that they want to say everything's going to be fine. Health and wealth and prosperity. If you put your faith in Jesus, all is going to be well. Listen, the truth is when you come to Christ, sometimes everything is not well. But you know what doesn't change? The peace that God gives you. God promises to give you and I peace if we are walking with him. And so what do we have here? Here's, here's what we understand when we're looking at what this word means. The certainty of God's peace again with God produces the experience of peace. And Jesus is communicating and he's letting his, his disciples know and those who are listening is, listen, I didn't come to make you feel good. I came to make you right. I came to give you real peace. And so here's what I'll say here. When we accept the terms of peace, check this out now. This peace is exclusive. When we accept the terms of peace, we will know the endurance of peace. What are the terms of peace? The terms of peace are repentance and faith in Christ Jesus. Those are the terms of peace. See, when, when we talk about peace with God, here's what we have to understand, is that we are enemies with God. 
We are enemies of God before we come to Christ. We are, we, we are, we are in, a, in opposition to him because of our rebellion and our sin. And as his enemies, you know what God does? God does something that is so gracious and so beautiful. He makes us sons. He makes us daughters through the cross. But there are certain, there, there are certain parameters with which we have to consider. There are certain terms of this peace. And so if we will put our faith in Christ and we will put our trust in Christ, then we can have what? The enduring peace of Christ. See, Jesus in that same chapter, Matthew chapter 10, Jesus says something. And, and listen, if you're listening to me and you're a follower of Jesus, I need you to hear what I'm about to say. Because when he sends out his disciples to go and preach the gospel, you know what he tells them? He says something that's pretty powerful to them. He tells them when they come into a home where they are going to share the gospel, he tells them to speak peace be with you. And if they are worthy, meaning that their hearts are receptive, some people call this a person of peace, then your peace will be manifested unto them and will rest in that home. You know what that means? You, you got to hear this. That means that you and I, as we follow Christ, as we walk with Christ, it means what? It means that when we know God's peace, we have been empowered to be vessels of peace. We literally have the ability, listen, in the midst of all of the stuff that is going on, in the midst of all of the confusion that is happening, in the midst of everything that I need you to understand that God has made you, if you are his son, if you are his daughter, he has made you a vessel of peace. He wants to empower you in order to bring change to people's lives. And when Jesus tells his disciples that, he says, your peace will be there now. If it's a house that is unworthy and people are unwilling to hear the gospel, then you know what happens? Your peace returns to you and then judgment comes to them. So here's the choices. The choices are we can either experience God's peace or we can experience God's judgment. It's one or the other. But God lets us know that as believers, we do have the ability to change the atmosphere with the peace of God. The second point I'd like to make this morning is God's peace protects our hearts. I don't know about you, but in this season, I know that my heart has been challenged in so many ways. The book of Philippians chapter 4, which we talked about, I believe, last week when, um, when, when Paul tells, tells the Philippian church, he tells them to rejoice in the Lord always again. I'll say rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all, for the Lord is at hand. But then he goes on and he says, but be anxious. And this is, this is the verse that I want us to look at here in Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 through 7. He says, but be anxious for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, let your requests be made known to God with thanksgiving and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your mind and your hearts in Christ Jesus. That's a good verse for you to remember. But, but, but he makes it clear. He says, but listen, but do not be anxious, but, but do not be anxious is what he says. So the first thing he says is don't allow anxiety, don't allow fear, don't allow these things that, 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 that could rise up in you. Don't allow those things to dominate your heart. So what is anxiety? Just kind of thinking through that. Anxiety, you can see these words when you look up the definition. It's being fearful. It's being doubtful. It's looking at situations and all of the could-ofs, oh man, this might. Looking at all that and being overwhelmed by that is what Paul is saying. And so in the midst of whatever is going on, he's saying, listen, don't be that person. It's the opposite of being trusting in these moments. See, we live in a culture that is filled with anxiety-inducing situations. Conversations you have about politics, conversations you have about church, virtue signaling. I mean, that's all over the place, right? Somebody's got moral high ground over here, moral high ground over there. Bottom line is there are all kind of um, anxiety-inducing situations in our cultures, and we need to ensure that our hearts are being guarded. 
And so what does Paul do? Paul tells us, how is it that we guard our hearts? So be anxious for nothing, but look what he says, but in everything, in everything, in everything, not in some things, in everything, by prayer and supplication and thanksgiving, make your request known to God. So he gives us these three things. He says one is what? Prayer. So what is prayer? I'm going to just break this down as simply as I can. Prayer is talking to God. So first of all, do you talk to God? Do you have a set-apart time that you talk to God? And in moments that, that, that pop up, are you talking to God? Or are you complaining to men? Come on now, you got to think about that. Are you talking to God? Because here's what I want you to know, is that talking to men doesn't always produce peace. As a matter of fact, talking to men or Googling it or whatever the case is, you know what that can do? Create more anxiety, create more fear, create more doubts, create more distrust of God. So the first thing Paul says is to pray, prayer, and then supplication. What is supplication? I like to look at supplication as wrestling with God. And it's not like it's a fair match because I'm not talking about like wrestling, like arm wrestling or anything like that. But, I'm, but when I look at supplication, it is like going after God and not letting go of God, just like we see with Jacob, that he would not, he, he would not let go of God, the angel of the Lord that was there, that we know now is symbolic of, you know, it, it, it was a potential Christophany at that time an appearance of Christ before the incarnation. And so he was literally wrestling with our Lord and Savior prior to that. And he wouldn't let him go until he blessed him. Now listen, the thing with supplication is sometimes it's about you, sometimes it's about others. But the point is, it's you supplicate, hear me now, only because you know who God is. Only because you know what God's promises are. And so supplication is coming before the Lord, crying out to him, not giving up just because you didn't get the answer the first time or the first five times or the first year. You know how many people have been praying for breakthrough, for breakthrough and praying and seeking God. And finally, one day the breakthrough comes. They didn't give up. Listen, that's what supplication is. It's not giving up until you get an answer. And I've said this before. I think it's worth repeating. There's two ways that we know when we need to stop praying about something. It is either A, when God does it, or B, when God answers. One of the two. So if God doesn't answer and say, I'm saying no, you keep praying. You don't give up. If God says yes, and I have, I have a story of one of the guys that I've heard, he's an intercessor, I can't remember his name right now, but he has a book called The Intercessor, and in his story, he was praying for a man who was sick. And as he was praying for this man who was sick, he was fasting, he was praying, he was crying out to God, the God was terminal, and he prayed, and the Lord told him in prayer, I've healed him. So when this man got up, he said, okay, that's, you, you've healed him, I'm done praying. He stopped fasting, stopped praying, well, guess what? He, he checked on the guy, the guy was still sick. And when he went over there, he didn't go pray for him. And the people were asking him, hey man, why are you not praying for him? And he said, because if I prayed for him at this point, it would be sin because it would be an act of doubt. God already said he is healed. The beauty of this is what? Is that the man actually walked in the healing later on and experienced full restoration to health when other people thought he was gonna die. So my point is when God speaks to you and says he's done, it's done, then you go ahead and you say, okay, Lord, it's done, you let it go. But if God doesn't answer, what do you do? You keep praying until you see the manifestation of what God, what you're believing God for, as long as it aligns with his word. So that's what supplication would be. And then there is thanksgiving. What I believe thanksgiving is, it's surrender to God. See, because you pray about it, you talk to God about it, you supplicate, you, you, you wrestle with God about it, and then you thank God. You say, you know what, God, thank you for hearing me. 
Lord, thank you for hearing my prayer. Lord, thank you for hearing my cry. Thank you for not leaving me alone. Thank you for the promise that you have given me. And as you thank God for who he is, you thank God for his promises, you thank God for his truth, you are literally surrendering to him and you're saying, Lord, I laid it at your feet and I'm not going to pick it up again. And can I say something? You may need to go through this routine over and over and over again for certain things in your life because some things are heavier and are harder to let go. And I know for me, I can only talk about me. I can't talk about you. But I know sometimes there are moments that I'm praying about stuff and it's so heavy upon my heart. It's so overwhelming in my life. But you know what ends up happening to me? What ends up happening to me is I end up picking it back up and, and I start worrying about it. I start being anxious about it. And in those moments, I have to remind myself, Lord, I thank you because I already prayed about this. Lord, I thank you because I've already laid this at your feet. And so Thanksgiving doesn't end at the end of a prayer where you just say, thank you, God, amen, and walk away. No, Thanksgiving is continual, and that's the way that we are able to walk in peace. I want you to notice this. The result, this is a biblical way of positioning ourselves against anxiety. Here's what you got to know. You and I, in most situations, not every situation, in most situations where we're going to be bound by worry and anxiety, most of them, we have, a, we have a choice to make. Now, I told you last week, there's some people that I know they have anxiety attacks and they battle with this. And here's what I know. What I know from them is they're like, I'll ask them, so what triggered it? They're like, I don't know. It just happened. It just popped up. So I, I don't think you can prepare for that, right? You just got to walk that out. You got to, you know, trust the Lord in that situation. But most other situations are self-induced anxieties because we're worrying about things that we cannot control. We're worrying about stuff that we, listen, we have no control over. The only thing we can do is trust God in the situation. And so here's what happens. Whenever we decide, right, I talked about protection, the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, when we biblically position ourselves against anxiety, how? By prayer, supplication, thanksgiving. We biblically position ourselves against anxiety. You know what happens? The peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guards our minds and our hearts through Christ Jesus. Very, very important that we grasp that. Now, I want you to hear this really quickly because this is the complete Jewish Bible. Listen to the way that this verse is read. The then God's shalom, that's his, that, that's his peace, passing, passing all understanding, listen to this, will keep your hearts and minds safe in union with the Messiah Yeshua. Did you hear that? Think about that for a moment. Then God's shalom, passing all understanding, will keep your hearts and minds safe in union in union with the Messiah. See, here's what happens. If the enemy can tangle us up in anxiety, you know what he does? Inevitably, he disrupts our union with Christ. So when we become overwhelmed by worry, by fears, by doubts, by all that stuff, you know what is happening? The enemy has found a way to, dis to disconnect you from your Lord. But, but what happens is when you and I have union with Christ, when you and I are united with him in relationship, remember we talked about abiding, when we're united with him in relationship, we disrupt, the peace of God disrupts the ill effects of anxiety of our hearts and our minds. See, the enemy wants to keep us bound and disconnected from the Lord. And God is saying, listen, I want to disconnect you from your worry. I want to disconnect you from your anxiety. I want to disconnect you from your fears. I want to disconnect you from your doubt. I don't want those things to reign supreme in your life, but I want to reign supreme in your life, which brings me to the third point, which is this. God directs our hearts. God's peace directs our hearts. So God's peace protects our hearts, but God's peace also directs our hearts. We don't just need protection, we also need direction. And so if you look, if you have your Bible, 
Turn to the book of Colossians chapter 3. We're going to read from verse 15 to verse 17. And here's what, here, here, here's as you're turning there, in the midst of the turmoil, in the midst of the confusion, in the midst of deception, you and I have to realize that our hearts need to be directed. Why? By God's glory, for God's glory. Hear, hear this. The way we make decisions either demonstrates the peace that we have or the lack of peace we have. Let me say that again. The way that we make decisions either demonstrates the peace that we have or the lack of the peace of God that we have. And so I hope you've had a moment to turn to Colossians chapter 3, verse 15 to verse 17. And this is what it says here. It says, therefore, let us as many as are mature have this mind. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal them to you. I'm sorry, that is the wrong verse here. I'm in, I'm in Philippians, my bad, my bad. This is Colossians, there you go. Colossians chapter three, Colossians chapter three, verse 15, it says this, and let the peace of God rule in your hearts. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts. You gotta, you gotta take that word rule into consideration. Let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also you were called in one body and be thankful. There's that thanksgiving again. I want you to know that the peace of God is connected with your thankful heart. That's why Paul goes on to say this, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. See, see, when we think about singing right now, we don't have the congregation together in the room. But you know what you do have? You have your family together in a room with you if you're with your family. And you are there and you need to know that when you're singing these psalms and these hymns and these, these spiritual songs, you know what you're doing? You're encouraging, you're building the faith of those who are around you. And verse 17 says, and whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord, giving thanks to God, to, the, to, to God the Father through him. And so, so what, do we, what do we understand here? What we understand here is this word rule is very, very important. God's peace rules in our hearts like an umpire. That's what that word is likened to, an umpire, a ruler. And so in our context, obviously, in the context that Paul is writing this, the umpire is more like the referee of the games that they used to have. In our day, we have an umpire that we know of, and that's, that's the umpire in baseball, softball, and things, and, and, and games like that, tennis, stuff like that. And so here's, here, here's what we have, right? We have this, this understanding of an umpire. So what does an umpire do? An umpire calls strikes. The umpire, the umpire calls balls, the umpire calls fouls, the umpire calls safe, the umpire calls out. The umpire is the one, check this out, the umpire is the one who orders the game. He orders the game. And so a good umpire, an honest umpire, you know what he does? He makes the game better. He makes the game fun, the game more challenging. If you have a dishonest umpire, then you know what? You, then you're going to have a bad game. It's just like watching basketball and you see bad calls and you're like, man, what's wrong with this guy? Is this guy blind? Here's what I want you to know is that our God is not only a good umpire, he's an all-knowing umpire. Our God is not just good, he is all-knowing. And not only is he all-knowing, he is purposeful. And so when God walks with us in whatever we're going through, guess what he does? He wants to direct our hearts. God's peace rules in our hearts. Our God is, listen, he is honest. And here's what I want you to know. When God reigns, his peace will rule. Let me say that again. When God reigns, his peace will rule. My question is, I said it in point one, is God the ruler of your life? 
Is God the ruler of your heart? Have you accepted the terms of peace, which are repentance and faith? If you have not done that, Jesus is calling you to turn from your sin and turn unto him. Let him rule in your heart so that way his peace can reign in your life. Let, his, let, let him reign as king over your heart so that way his peace can rule in your life, in your heart, in your situation. That way your decisions are not governed by knee-jerk reactions. Your decisions are not governed by circumstances and things that are going on. But your decisions are directed by what? By the umpire who's saying, that's good, deal with that. That's nothing, ignore that. That's something to be about, pray about that. See, what the umpire does is he shows you, you know what, you should have a conversation with someone. Or the umpire says, no, nope, it's not time for a conversation. Or the umpire says, you know what? You need to just let that be. See, the umpire shows you how to deal with stuff. As a matter of fact, let me help you to understand something. The umpire is there with you when you're watching your news outlets, when you're listening to whoever you listen to. And you know what the umpire is doing? The umpire is there to let you know, hey, that's truth. That's a lie. Do you ever think about that? You realize that the umpire, he doesn't only know the Bible. <laughs> this is so good. He doesn't just know the Bible. See, some people think about Christianity like it should be compartmentalized to church buildings, right? Your religion should be compartmentalized to just where you live, where you are. Hold on a second. God is the God of all truth, not some truth. He is the God of all truth. All truth belongs to God, uh, one of my mentors says. And so here is the reality that we live in. The reality that we live in is that God knows what is true. And you know what God can do? God can show you when someone is lying. He can show you when someone is spinning something. He can show you when someone is being deceitful. He can show you when something hasn't been fact-checked correctly. He can show you when something hasn't been you know, brought out to its full conclusion and people are adding things before they can. Listen, church, you need to be discerning. And you know what the problem is? The problem is this, is that we trust the voices of others then we trust more than we trust God's voice. We trust the voices of others more than we trust God's voice. The umpire who is supposed to be calling the shots in our lives. I want you to hear how, how, how the, the, completed, the complete Jewish Bible says this last verse, verse 15. It says, and let the shalom which comes from the Messiah be your heart's decision maker. You hear that? Let the peace of God be your decision maker. Let God direct your hearts, not man, not feelings, not emotions, but let God, let the peace of God be your decision maker. So here's the last thing that I want to say in this point, and then we're going to wrap up. The world needs peacemakers. Hear me when I say that. Not peacekeepers, not people who are willing to confront the truth. The world needs peacemakers, and we must be bringers of biblical peace. Not the peace we want to bring, not just bringing smiles to people's faces, but we need to bring biblical peace. And that biblical peace is rooted and it's wrapped up in love and truth. Here's my closing question for you. My closing question is this. Are you a person of peace? In other words, are you whole? Are you a person of peace? And are you whole? And as I was preparing right before uh, this, uh, I, I was getting ready to preach this sermon, as I, as I was in preparation, I came to look up this one verse. And this one verse is so important, and it's not going to stream here, but it is in the book of Isaiah chapter 26. And I want you to hear this verse, Isaiah 26. I encourage you to read this. But Isaiah 26 in verse 3, it says this. It says, you will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trust you. 
It's a promise that God gives to us. He will keep us in perfect peace. He will make us whole. If our minds and our hearts are stayed on him. Because what? Because we trust in him. My question is, do you trust him? Do you trust him above everything else? Because if you trust him above everything else, you can apply these principles in your life of prayer and supplication and thanksgiving. And the peace of God will guard your heart. And also the peace of God will rule your heart. But you have to trust him above everything and everyone else. Let me pray for you. Father, right now we come to you believing and thanking you for your great love, thanking you for your great grace, thanking you for your peace that is true. And Lord, I pray for everyone that has heard me today, Lord God, if they're struggling in this area of peace, if they're struggling to have the peace of God in their lives, Lord, I pray that if they're your children, that they would bow to you and humble themselves before you for giving into fears and doubts rather than giving into the truth of your word. And Father, for those that are not believers that are hearing today, those that haven't made peace with you, those that haven't bowed to you, those that haven't accepted the terms of peace that you give, God, may you draw their hearts to you today. May they cry out to you. May they turn from their sin and may they trust you as Lord and Savior. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. And so before you go, I just want to say really quickly, if you have questions about a relationship with Jesus, if you are struggling to know the peace of God, I want to pray for you. I want to encourage you. I'd love to talk to you. So please send me a message. You can send me an email to bishop at corefaithchurch.org. That's the easiest way to contact me. You can also IM us. Uh, on Facebook. You can do, um, DM us on, uh, on Instagram. You can also send us a message through the YouTube channel, but we want to hear from you. We want to pray for you. So if you need prayer, if you have questions about a relationship with Jesus, please reach out to us. Let us know, and we'll be more than willing and, and, and able to have a conversation with you. God bless you.